BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Connor, how's it going? Uh, it could be better, I think. <laughs> just a little bit. It could be just a little bit better. How about you? It would be better if the number two seed in the conference didn't lose their first game in the series for what seems like the 40th time in a row. <laughs> Honestly, so it's something we've become so accustomed to as Raptors fans. It's actually kind of depressing, but uh, here we are. Yet again, another game one loss. Exactly. So let's just go ahead and get into the game summary. Uh, early on, the Raptors took the lead versus Magic. Toronto was shooting the ball pretty coldly from beyond the arc. It seemed like the lead should have been more early. They had a couple missed shots, but you know, around the end of the third quarter, they jumped out to an eight-point lead. After one, they were up five. What was your thought process kind of at that point? Um the, my thought process kind of going into the second quarter was, listen, the Raptors were up by five at that point. They could have been up by more if it, was, if it wasn't if it was for a, a lackluster final possession where there seemed to be just a, uh, a, a terrible pass in, I believe, from Fred Van Vliet. Uh, and then the ball was taken back for an easy, for an easy flush for the Orlando Magic. But uh, they were missing a lot of open shots that they should have made like even in the first quarter. So it kind of gave me the confidence to know um, the Raptors have the ability as, if, as long as they start making some of these open shots to really take control of this game. So the fact that they were up five with the way that they were shooting to me was pretty positive going into the second quarter. Then the magic start to catch fire here and the magic are shot pretty hot or at least midway through the quarter started to heat up a little bit. The Raptors shooting slump goes from pretty bad to horrendous. They can't make any kind of outside jumper. The Raptors are having trouble getting to the basket. The Magic jump up and grab, go on a 20-2 run and grab a humongous 18-point uh, lead, or I'm sorry, 16-point lead in the first half. Then the Raptors hit two threes to kind of stabilize themselves, go on an 8-0 run to end the first uh, half. What was your thought process at that time? Well, at that point, um, it was nice that the Raptors had a little bit of momentum going into halftime. And in my head, and this is kind of what I put on Twitter, was that the Raptors have always been, especially this year, a second-half team. 
right? It seems that it doesn't matter really who they play. A lot of times they'll be down 8 to 12 points or so going in the half, but you can almost bank on them coming out hot to start the third quarter and then really cut down on that lead and either take the lead or make it a very close game going into the fourth. So I wasn't overly worried at that point, but again, the fact that their, their shooting woes were just amplified in the second quarter was not really good. But then in my head, there was the other side where I was saying, well, it can't really get any worse. I mean, Kyle Lowry's bound to put up a point in this game, right? That's what you would think. Uh, during the third quarter, the Raptors go on a nice run of their own. It seems like for a minute they're kind of going to just pull away with this. The Magic respond with, oh, you know, they stabilize themselves at the end of the third. But heading into the fourth, the Raptors have the lead, and it feels like they're going to take over this game and kind of start to pull away. No? Oh, absolutely. At that point, I was pretty confident, um, I, you know, for people that are a lot of people that listen to me or people that follow me on Twitter, a lot of them are, are of the betting mindset. And they're like, oh, I'm going to lock in the Raptors live bet right now. Like, it's it's done. Don't worry about it. And I was almost kind of like encouraging that. But, you know, I probably was I probably would have had an angry mob come at me afterwards. But, um, you know, it's it, it was one of those things where I was very confident in the Raptors going to the fourth saying, listen, they're a fourth quarter team. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, the, the, the unit that they had on the floor has the ability to be all defensive unit plus the fact that they can put the ball in the net on the offensive end of the glass. So I was pretty confident heading into the fourth thinking that the Raptors were kind of would kind of seal and deal this game and we'll go into game two of the one nothing lead for the Raptors. And then the fourth quarter, which obviously did not work out in the Raptors' favor, Kawhi hits that step back three to tie it. Then he hits a fadeaway jumper, which was just an incredibly difficult shot to take the lead. It feels like Toronto is going to win the game. The Magic respond back with a bucket of their own, and then the DJ Augustine three on a wide open look, which was not not great defensively. No. no. The Raptors have a final possession. It's an air ball, and Toronto loses this game. Uh, Connor, what was kind of the key moment of the game to you? Um, well, I, th- I think the key moment, um, and I'll, I'll say key moment for the Raptors and for the Magic. Um, I think the key moment for the Raptors in this game was the end of that half. Uh, the end of the first half, beginning of the second half, where they cut into that 16-point lead, which seemed to be over the course of, like, two minutes. They came out flying, and they started hitting shots, having great defensive uh, defensive work, and then ball movement on the offensive end, right? Ball movement to create open shots, uh, get guys in really good looks, and that's the recipe to success for this team. So for me, that was almost a key moment for the Raptors to get them back in this game to make it a game. But for the Orlando Magic, um, I think their key moment obviously was that 20-2 run because everything just seemed at that point to be an uphill battle for the Raptors. Um, it was all about coming back, coming back. And then when they did make a push to come back and take a lead, the lead wasn't that substantial because of the fact that Orlando created this cushion so early on where if the Raptors did take a bit of a lead, it was easy for them to kind of come back into the game and make it uh, more interesting than it really should have been in Game 1. Yeah, for me, it was the third quarter responding, the Magic responding to the Raptors' run. I thought as the Raptors kind of went on that tear during the beginning of the third quarter, middle of the third quarter, that they were eventually going to pull away and kind of put this one to bed. Instead, the Magic fought back, started to kind of battle back, and slowly worked the lead down. The Raptors kept about a four-point lead the entirety of the quarter, but they never let it get outside of that, and they've 
kept Toronto within punching distance. And obviously that made the biggest difference. I think for a young play, a young team with no playoff experience to kind of have that mindset and to have the presence of mind to stay in the game is really impressive to me. So hats off to Orlando. Obviously Toronto could have closed it out themselves, but here we are. Um, You're just just making this a longer series and it has to be magic. This is, uh, this is crazy. <laughs> what are what is we're gonna go our three takeaways from the game? What's your first overall takeaway? Well, my first my first overall takeaway is you know if if, if you take a look at this game in a nutshell, you look at it and you say that Toronto really lost because it, they didn't hit open shots, right? Like the the Raptors were losing the battles in the first and second quarter because they were not hitting the clean open wide shots that they really should have. Um, obviously we're taking a look at, at Kyle Lowry, who is Oh six from three. Uh, he was not, he he had wide open looks and was just not burying them. Uh, Pascal Siakam, who normally hits his corner threes. Uh, he wasn't really doing that this game. Uh, Danny green to start was kind of off and didn't hit the threes that we're used to seeing him hit. So for me, one of the, one of the key takeaways in that game was the fact that the Raptors were just missing open shots. So that wasn't really um, that big of a deal for me. Uh, Another takeaway in this game would just be um, Kyle Lowry. Again, zero points, right? Like having zero points in this game is a takeaway. That's that's pretty substantial. Uh, That's our that is our starting point guard. You can't have zero points in the playoffs. I'm sorry. Like if DJ Augustine is out here shooting like Steph Curry and you're not, uh, that's that's not a great look for you if you're getting outdueled by DJ Augustine uh, very heavily, right? You're an all-star. You're a five-time all-star. Uh, you say that you're that you want to be in the playoffs. Say that you want to build for the playoffs. Uh, you want to be a leader. You want to lead by example. So do it. Lead by example. Uh, show show the guys. If you're not having a great shooting night, that's okay. Do other things. Ball movement, defensive possessions, uh, rebounding, which he was okay with, but to have zero points is unacceptable for me, in my opinion. Um, and then I was just, I was super impressed uh, with Pascal Siakam. I think in this game, I think that he played uh, unbelievable, uh, considering his recent struggles against the Orlando Magic this year, especially that matchup against Jonathan Isaac. I, I think that that was um, really nice to see him. Uh, take the challenge head on because of the fact that there are so many doubters of Pascal Siakam in this series saying, well, you might not be able to elevate his game, which could still be true. This this is only one game in the seven game series, but um, he's shown early on that he's able to take those take that challenge head on and hit some tough shots. Will that be able to continue? I don't know. But it was nice to sort of see that be established in game one and Pascal say, I'm, I'm not going to shy away from you. I'm not going to shy away from the challenge. Yeah, a couple things to touch on there. One, with Kyle Lowry, um, I've seen a lot of the kind of post-game discussion that he was actually a positive when he was on the court, and the Raptors outscored the Magic by 11 during the time when he was on the floor, and that's true, but I, to me that's more of a correlation than a causation there. I understand the things Lowry does. Just you know, be outscored by DJ Augustine by 20 points and they win this game rather than 25. So <laughs> I, I'm just, to me that's not an acceptable kind of, stance to take is the fact that well you know they outscore the minutes when he was on the court that's great but i to me he doesn't get credit for those especially when you're able to score zero um if i had to do if i had to do my takeaways for this game 
Um, one would be the shooting difference. I don't think that Orlando's going to shoot like that, and Toronto won't. Uh, Orlando shot 48% from three. Toronto shot 33%. That, for Toronto being a better three-point shooting team, obviously a lot more shooters on the floor. I just don't expect that to happen from one game to the next. Uh, the other thing is, my second takeaway is, like you said, the Kyle Lowry thing. And, you know, we can break down all the different matchups we want, and we can talk about Vucevic dropping and the pick and, pick and roll and all these little things, but if your starting point guard can't score a single point, you're not going to win the series, and you're not going to win right. a game. So it sounds kind of reductive and simplified to say, but Kyle Lowry just needs to make shots. And yes, he also, he needs to make jump shots, but he also needs to get to the hoop. He only shot one shot within the arc. And, you know, that's not acceptable. He got to the line only one time. Other than that, he didn't attempt any free throws besides those two, and he missed both. It's just, it's a tough look for him not only missing seven shots, including six three-point attempts, but only getting seven shot attempts up. I'd rather see him go over 15 than over seven. And then the last thing is um, the Raptors play pretty good defensively on Vucevic. I think that's kind of been overlooked, and I thought if we could control Vucevic, then that would be the series. However, we did a pretty good job against him, but yet the Magic still ended up with 104 points, and it's not like 104 is a huge number, but it's pretty significant considering that Vucevic did pretty much nothing this game. Yeah, I I heard a stat that said that the Raptors were held under 100 points nine times in the regular season. Three of those games came against the Orlando Magic, so the Orlando's defense seems to really step it up against the Raptors, and they really seem to be the team that can sort of zone in when Toronto um, has games that are under 100 points. It's usually not the Magic or represent 33% of of those games that the Raptors are sh- or have under 100 points in. So, um, you know, even to have 104 points, that might that might be what wins you the game. Obviously, Toronto had 101, which is one point uh, or two points ahead of 99, right? So, again, they're right in that threshold of keeping the Raptors um, pretty pretty low on the scoreboard, locking them in defensively, uh, and creating a lot of tough shots for them, like Pascal Siakam made a lot of tough shots. Um, obviously, Kyle Lowry's not going to sh- not going to score zero points in a game anymore. If he does, I'll I don't know what I'll do. Uh, but um, that's that, that's kind of an anomaly, I think, for uh, Kyle Lowry going forward. I'm not expecting that from him again. So I mean, I never expected him to get zero points in the playoffs, but here we are. He got he shot he he shot 0 for 7 in the game with 0 points. So um, I think I think moving forward, there's a lot that worked well for the Magic in Game 1, and there's a lot that didn't work well for Toronto in Game 1. So I'm still pretty confident moving into Game 2 that Toronto can sort of rebound from it and, and take control and, uh, and get everything set up. Yeah, absolutely. You can be disappointed with the performance and still understand on the back end that it's not the end-all, be-all. And, you know, if it wasn't for the franchise's history... It wouldn't be much of a talking point, I don't think. It would be kind of, yeah, the 7th seed beat the 2 seed when they had a freak shooting performance and these kind of things happen. But fairly or unfairly, the weight of the franchise kind of sits on this team and that's just how things work. So 
people are going to naturally overreact to one game, so it's hard to blame them because well, you know that history is there. But at the same time, like you said, there's so many things here that happen that I just don't expect to happen in the rest of the series. Yeah, I mean the Raptors weren't the only number two seed to lose. You yeah, know? that's a good point. Yeah, so right, like Denver, Denver lost against San Antonio, so uh, it's not it's not like this is. It's not like Denver took control of the San Antonio game. Like, hey, yeah, we're we're the number two seed, and you're the number seven seed. I think that there's a lot more parity in today's NBA. Uh, even though the Magic didn't have the greatest of records, they still ended the year on. A, I think the record was 22 and nine to end the year, or something very similar to that. They did play really good basketball going down the stretch. So this isn't a normal seven seed. And obviously, with San Antonio, Greg Popovich and their their lineups that's not a normal seven seed either so the number two seeds kind of have a little bit of a battle moving forward so it's not a necessarily like a lock but um obviously it's games that you expect them to win so who was your mvp for toronto um obviously we can we can all say that Kawhi leonard is like the mvp for the raptors especially in this game in in, in his defensive prowess and in his shooting performance but um i always kind of like to find somebody who I think is is deserving of MVP that's not always talked about. And that guy for me is Fred VanVleet. Um, when Fred VanVleet was on the court, uh, to me, it seemed like, especially when Kyle Lowry couldn't make a bucket and seemed to be in this rut offensively, Fred VanVleet almost took it upon himself to say, look guys, I'm going to help alleviate some of that stress that is being placed on you because our point guard can't can't score anything. He's got zero points. So uh, Fred VanVleet finished the game 14 points, uh, five and nine shooting, three of six from three. Um, obviously, uh, you you want your starting point guard to get more than zero points, but it's really nice when your backup point guard can come up and uh, almost alleviate that for Lowry and, and allow him to play within his game uh, while still contributing offensively. So. Um, I think that a lot of guys felt more comfortable with Fred VanVleet on the floor. What that says for Lowry, I don't, I really don't know. I obviously, I'm not saying that Fred's going to start over Kyle Lowry in Game Two, but um, that might mean more Fred VanVleet minutes and less Kyle Lowry minutes. But I think if it weren't for Fred VanVleet in this game, obviously he didn't have the most points or the second most points. But you know, if I don't think if it, if it weren't for Fred VanVleet in this game, I think that this game could have gotten really out of hand. So uh, for me, he's he's the MVP of the game. I'm going to go with Pascal Siakam, uh, going against Jonathan Isaac, who's a tough matchup for him, and there was a lot of talk coming in on how he would match up with Isaac, and I don't think it was just kind of a false narrative. Uh, Jonathan Isaac's really long, he's really athletic, and he's kind of the perfect matchup. With that being said, Pascal took it right to him. He went 12 of 24 from the field, which is a pretty crazy stat line. Uh, he didn't make a three. If he was able to make a couple three-pointers, he could have had an even bigger night, which would have been crazy in, you know, one of his kind of breakout playoff games as a starter here. He played 42 minutes, which I don't think can be overstated. The Raptors really didn't play their starters a ton of minutes. Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard only at 33 minutes, which to me was an, a mistake by Nick Nurse. But just having Pascal Siakam being able to take on that burden with OG Ananobi out, play 42 full minutes, had a couple of great defensive plays. We saw the two blocks and one possession. And put up 24 points and nine boards and four assists is a crazy night from him. He played phenomenal and certainly wasn't one of the reasons for the Raptors' loss. He he never gets tired. 
Like that guy, that guy isn't like a machine, man. He's built for this and he never sweats. I don't understand it. He's just, he's, he's everything that you want a guy to be. If you're, you're, he's a coach's dream. Guy never gets tired. I love it. Exactly. And you know, I don't expect him to continue to put up 20 plus against Jonathan Isaac. Like I said, I think some of those matchup things are real. And Jonathan Isaac is a very good defender and good matchup for him. But to have it tonight was great. And if they would have won the game, it would have been a large part because of him and his performance. So that was great. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard, we didn't mention him. He did go 10 of 18 from the field, had a monster step back three to tie the game and a step back jumper in order to take the lead. Uh, his performance kind of goes without saying. I think a lot of people were aware of his effort. So that's why we, neither of us put him as his MVP, but certainly yeah. an MVP warranted game and the great game from him as well. Uh, Definitely. Connor, who is your least valuable player? I, I have a guess, but I'll let you go ahead and say it. Wait, do you want to, do you want to say it on three? Yeah. Say one, it together, ready? one, two, two three. Kyle Lowry. Oh, my God. Oh, my. What? No. No, man. I did not think we were going to say the same player. Are yeah, you serious? I was no. shocked. I wow. I thought you were going to say someone different. I was actually going to say Kawhi Leonard, but no. <laughs> no, Jim, obviously, like Kyle Lowry, goose egg, zero points. What else do you want me to say? Um, look, you can still you still hate on Kyle Lowry's performance, but expect but expect him to be better. Like he, there, there's, pe- I think that there's this common misconception on Twitter where people are saying, wow, you're hating on Kyle Lowry's performance. You don't believe in him. Uh, no, it's not that I don't believe in him. Uh, I, I believe that, does he face playoff demons? Maybe, it's possible. But he has had really good playoff moments for Toronto in the past. Um, I, I think that he had, obviously, yes, he had a rough game. But do I expect him to keep putting up zero points and average zero points this entire series? No. So uh, when when we're talking about that, I'm not necessarily worried. He can only go up from here. He's legit hit rock bottom offensively. So uh, I'll ex- I expect more from him. But obviously in this game, if he had, if he hit two of those open threes that he had, it's game over. So LVP for me, Al. Yeah, that's so true. It's not... Uh... I love Kyle Lowry, and Kyle Lowry is my favorite player on this team. And me kind of denigrating his performance isn't a denigration on him as a player. But I can also be realistic and understand that I expect more than zero points out of my starting point guard, who I think is one of the best players on the team. That's a reasonable take to me. And it's not hating on Kyle Lowry, not believing in Kyle Lowry. It's expecting more out of a player that I know is so valuable to this team. And oh, Again, he did the other things. I thought his floor game was solid. He rebounded the ball well. He dished out a couple assists. He played floor general well, but if you go 0 of 7, that doesn't matter. You can do all the other stuff, and you can do the little things, but if you put a goose egg on the scoreboard, then all that other stuff is kind of wiped out or at least negated somewhat by your lack of scoring ability. So we can talk about all the different things that he did, and I thought that you know maybe his game was better than your typical zero-point performance, but it's zero points. You cannot cannot have your all-star point guard score zero points in a playoff game that came down to three. Absolutely. Well, at least his nuts are fine. So Yeah, you know, when he was <laughs> – I thought he was injured for a second, I, and I tweeted out, I was never so happy to see Kyle Lowry get hit in the nuts <laughs> than before that game. So uh, 
lastly, Connor, kind of what's your big takeaway going into game two or what from game one is kind of hanging over your head the most? Um, I, I think I think that the big one, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, was the Raptors just missed open shots, right? The Raptors were, especially in that first quarter, uh, when they, I think they were one of eight from three at one point. They were either one, one of seven or one of eight from three at one point to start the game. And a lot of those open, a lot of those threes that they missed were wide open shots. So uh, when you look at that, uh, you can almost see the frustration on the Raptors as they were shooting. And they're like, come on, like, why is this not going in? There were a lot of balls. Uh, one was shot by Marcus Hall, another from Kyle Lowry that really rattled around every single part of the rim and then just bounced out. So it seemed it seemed like it was going to be that type of, of night for the Raptors. But when you sort of take a look at everything that kind of transpired over the 42 minutes, um, you kind of see that the Raptors just didn't execute fully and it seemed like the Magic couldn't miss, especially this generation, Steph Curry and DJ Augustine, couldn't miss a shot. So uh, I you, you kind of expect a little bit of a regression from the Magic, and you expect a little bit of a better performance from the Raptors. So I kind of take all of that into consideration moving ahead into Game 2, and I really expect the Raptors to come out swinging and be more efficient with the ball and, and hit those open shots that they're given. Uh, and I expect the Raptors to sort of regain control in Game 2 and say, L- listen, this is our home court. You're not taking two on us. Well, and if you lose game two, it's DEFCON freaking one, you know? Yes. yes. You can't lose game two and be down 0-2 with two home games as the number two seed. You're toast. Yeah, and Toronto maybe could overcome that. I certainly wouldn't say the series is over if that happens, but that's not a great sign. So this game two is going to be so important, and really game three will as well. You don't want to fall down 2-1 and have Orlando going into a game four at home up to one. So it's exciting. And this series to me is like, it's only one game, but it just made the entire series so much more interesting and perhaps not in a good way as someone who has serious investments in how the Raptors are going to do this postseason, but it's going to be more exciting. Um, yes. Oh, def- oh, definitely. It's going to be very exciting for us, for sure. Yeah. So, um, one last thing, I we didn't get it kind of to it naturally, so I just wanted to bring this up before we kind of hang up here. Is what was your kind of thoughts with the rotation with Nick Nurse? Uh, Jody Meeks plays two minutes in the first half, doesn't get back in in the second. We saw a lot of uh, Serge Ibaka at power forward, but you know, not that much. They only played him and Gasol didn't play that many minutes, so there wasn't. It felt like Nick Nurse kind of snuck in little places here and there to get the minutes for OG Ananobi at power forward rather than finding a consistent guy or totally switching the rotation to eight. What was kind of your thoughts on that? Um, I think that, I mean, I, like I'm, I'm taking a look at the minutes here. Obviously, um, the starters, nobody played less than 32, which was Marcus Saul. Um, Ser- Serge Ibaka is, is going to be... Uh, he's going to have trouble with Vucevic on the floor. I think that's definitely more of a Marcus Saul matchup, in my opinion, than a Serge Ibaka matchup. So uh, in that regard, I'm, I'm kind of happy that every time Vucevic was on the floor, Mark, uh, Serge Ibaka was either playing the power forward or was sitting on the bench for Marcus Saul to man the five. Um, but, you know, Kyle Lowry having 34 minutes with zero points, I understand he's your go-to guy, but if he's struggling, 
I'm sorry, I don't care who's starting. If if Kawhi Leonard is struggling and he's got zero points and he's over seven, I don't want to see him keep shooting the ball. I like that's even even that's just me because in in a, in a playoff series you have to play properly in that game. Um, you can go into practice the next day and try to figure it out, but in that moment you have to make in-game adjustments. Um, obviously, I think Kawhi Leonard gets a little bit more of a leash than Kyle Lowry, but um, when you have a really good backup option in Fred Van Vliet, I think that he should have had more than 27 minutes in this game. I think that he should have definitely been in the 30s and uh, playing more with the starting unit than what Kyle Lowry was playing. Um, but with Pascal Siakam, 42 minutes, if, if he can sustain it, I'm fine with it. Um in general, I would have liked to have seen uh, Kawhi Leonard get more minutes. He only played uh, 33. Danny Green only 34, and Marcus Saul 32. I would have liked to have seen them with a little bit more minutes, like just a few more. And I think that sometimes he was a little late to make those adjustments once Orlando started getting uh, runs started, especially in that 20-2 to two run. I think that he was a little late in bringing some guys back. Uh, but in, in general, uh, I was okay with it. Well, on paper, it looks all right, but I think that there are some things in game where you look and you're like, why aren't you bringing certain guys back on the court faster? Yeah, Kawhi Leonard at 33 minutes to me is not okay, and I understand no. that there's some health things with him that are lingering in, in the background, but you know, we rested him all season for these moments, and it wasn't to play 33 minutes. It was to play 40 minutes especially in a close playoff game where you really wanted to take control of game one. He's got to play more. I thought Kyle Lowry, honestly, 33 to me wasn't enough for him either. I know he was struggling, but I just, I'd rather keep my best players in, out on the court. And I I want to go down swinging with Kyle Lowry rather than Fred Van Vliet, even if he's playing enough. poorly. Yeah, no, I understand the other point of view as well. Uh, for Serge, it's interesting you said that about Vucevic because I, I generally agree with you. I will say in his post-game interview, DJ Augustine mentioned about how he wanted to get Marc Gasol in the pick-and-roll, and the Magic had an active game plan to do that. So that would be that's something. That's interesting. Yeah, that's something to watch, and I was with you that I think Marc Gasol is the better matchup for Vucevic. It will be interesting to see, um, kind of on my rewatch here, what how well they attacked Marc Gasol and kind of what happened there and everything like that. So that will be interesting to see. Um yeah, I, the rotations to me weren't great. Uh, I would have, if Jody Meeks is going to play two minutes, I think he needs to get up to eight. Like, I, yeah. I think it has to be just a little bit more time in order to find your rhythm as a player than two minutes into a game. So that was weird to me. But um, And, you know, for that matter, if you're going to give him two minutes, just increase Norman Powell. Norman Powell played 16 minutes. There's no reason he can't play 20 to 25. So. Definitely. That was but, weird. You know, you know, Jody Jody Meeks actually played for the two minutes he was on the court. No, he I played he, pretty well, no, right? Played, <laughs> yeah, no, I thought he played well. And uh, if you want to play him, then it, I should say this. Nick Nurse's rotation of Jody Meeks worked in practice, but the theory of it really bothers me. And I don't think that necessarily because the results played out that that's how you want to play it. Right. So, um, that's something to watch. Is there anything else kind of going into game two that you're going to watch specifically and kind of are looking for? Um, I think that body language is going to be really important. Obviously something that we can't measure statistically or, or with quantifiable numbers. But, um, if the, if the, if the, uh, if the team stays positive, if they see, even when they're missing, if they start missing open shots again, I think that that's going to be super telling. If they start getting really frustrated, that's when I kind of get red flags with this team because then they start really doing stupid shit 
on the court <laughs> and they started they start doing dumb fouls and yelling at the refs and whining and complaining and to me as long as they stay level-headed and cool throughout 42 minutes which they should as a playoff veteran team and people who have been there and done that i think that that's really important obviously i've harped on the open shots thing so much but i think that that's a massive factor so um if they can maintain their composure throughout the full 42 minutes and understand that you can't just rely on your second half. You have to get off to a good start. If all those sort of factors combine together, I think that the uh, the Raptors are kind of kind of take game two pretty easily and head into Orlando tied one one. If the Raptors are down heading into the half of the next game, you, the tension in Toronto is going to be insane. The oh, city yeah. might be so quiet that you can hear a pin drop and the whole thing. It's going to be really kind of a nerve-wracking experience unless the Raptors come out and kind of punch them in the mouth to start. So that's what I'm hoping I see. I'm hoping you see a couple Kawhi Leonard possessions of settle down, guys, I got this. Uh, Kind of, I'm the guy here. And, you know, it's dangerous to fall into that mentality all the time. But when you have one of those guys like Kawhi Leonard, one of the top five players, these are the moments where, and the beginning of game two will be one of the moments where, I just kind of need you to settle the entire crowd down, settle the city down, and make some shots. And hopefully Toronto can get off to a hot start because, you know, you can't continue, like you said, to build these huge first-half deficits and think that you're going to overcome them. So it will be exciting to see, and we got a thrilling game two coming up. So, you know, I obviously wanted Toronto to win this game, but if there's any kind of silver lining, I'm I'm much more invested in this series than I was prior to the game. Well, yeah, I thought I, I I had initially thought it was gonna be a gentleman's sweep of five games, and I, uh, I said a clean sweep, so that probably is not gonna happen. If I, right? Oh, I'm, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's kind of I don't know if let me do the math one, um, two, three. Oh, wait, no, I, I can it can only be five. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that's uh, I I was I was very inclined to put four games too. I thought that the Raptors would have four very difficult games. Um, I didn't think that any of them would be blowouts by any stretch because I I do respect Orlando as a team and how they've been playing as of late, but um, I didn't really expect Orlando to take any, especially in Toronto. I thought that they might take one on home court, Um, but the fact that they took one on the road as a road team, even if they lose in game two in Toronto, it's mission accomplished for the Magic. You can go home with home court advantage now, so um, kudos to the Magic team, but this series just got a whole lot more interesting for the better or for worse for Raptors fans, but game two is going to be one where um, I don't think we're going to be as relaxed. I don't think the team is going to be as relaxed and nonchalant, and I think that they're going to really come out swinging, and I think you're going to see a different Raptors team, a uh, more efficient team in game two than we did in game one. Thank you so much for joining me, Connor. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at bet mgm 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.